Welcome back. January 10th. Five years ago, you played your first game in Salt Lake City. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, this is one of those days uh, that we will never forget. Never. You immediately made an impression. It was an electric night. It was amazing. And since that day, you've grown into a player who's beloved across the NBA. An NBA All-Star. All-Star! And in a move that transformed two teams. We love you. We'll miss you. You were traded to Cleveland. Cleveland was certainly a surprise destination. Tonight, you came to Utah and did something absolutely breathtaking. Uh-oh, this is going to be good. You single-handedly destroyed a toilet in the visitor's locker room. Jared Allen, the jazz organization's plumbing, will never forget you. Let this absorb a little bit. We love you even more. Now, in the moment, last night, hello, Fro listeners, by the way. In the moment, I thought that that would be a lovely misdirect. Because at halftime, when Jared Allen checked out, only not to return, I realized we had a a possible historical situation on our hands. Donovan Mitchell was out to an extremely fast start to begin the game. And I thought, hey, you know what? Both these guys were rookies in 2017. Both of them were introduced to the Salt Lake fan base five years ago. (laughs) I'll pull the old bait and switch with poopy humor. And that will make everyone feel great. And it'll be a lovely cold open. And it'll be an excellent way to do this last podcast before I take this short little trip to end the week. I'm going to see the Cavaliers in Portland, by the way. But no, instead of Jared Allen being the only one who shat all over himself last night. The fourth quarter saw a litany of mistakes from the Cavaliers, most specifically 13 seconds of just horrific fouls from Karis LeVert, which took a 107-102 lead and turned it into a deficit like that. But here's the thing. This is going to be a super negative podcast, so we got to have some positives here, right? I started with the Jared Allen poopy-related humor. That's my first attempt. Now, if that didn't make you feel better, what if I told you there was another performer last night who shit all over themselves in front of an arena full of people? Well, yes, there was. And that person was a lady who goes by the name Mac, who was charged with the duty of singing the national anthem. And let's just, I don't know how to say this in a way that doesn't sound mean and judgmental because I've never had to sing in front of an arena full of people. I'd probably fuck it up too, but good God, did she fuck it up. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so brightly we watch at the twilight's last gleaming Broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched at the twilight's last gleam. Still wrong. Look, don't worry about it. It's not like it's the biggest game of the season or anything. I'm sure you'll get it right the next time. Welcome to Fear the Fro, 
a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Hello, Fear the Fro listeners. Fuck. How did that get away from us? I'm Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio, lifelong Cavs fan, at Fear the Fro Pod on Twitter. Thank you, first of all, for joining me. I thought, now I am, uh, I'm about to jet set off to Portland to enjoy the Cavs, and I thought, oh man, this is going to be so sweet. Donovan Mitchell's going to go back to Utah for the first time this season, for the first time since the trade. He's going to hand him a loss. We're going to see just a wonderful, heartwarming night that comes along with a victory, and that spiraled out of control in the fourth quarter. To begin the game, things looked good. Nine points from Donovan Mitchell in the first six minutes. And you know what that means? I started doing the math. I started extrapolating. I took a limited amount of minutes and the production produced in those minutes. And I determined if a player played 48 minutes over the course of a game, Donovan Mitchell was on pace to score 72 points. But then JB had to substitute him out of the game. And that's probably where shit went completely wrong. Or not. I don't know. Maybe that's how basketball works. This felt like a game that Donovan Mitchell was just going to will to the finish line. I will say, I thought he was pressing a bit. He was getting to the foul line, so I I couldn't really complain. Nine first-half free throws, that's great. But the first quarter was not without issues, because after Mitchell's incredibly hot start, the Cavs then immediately gave up a 13-0 run to give the lead over to the Jazz, and the way the first quarter ended was infuriating. Darius Garland had the ball with seven, eight seconds left. They bring a double towards him. Osman is wide open on the other elbow for a three-pointer. And rather than give it to him, he fired up a shot that missed. Abaji gets the rebound, heaves the ball ahead to Gay, who leaked out on that three-point attempt by Darius Garland, and he got an uncontested bucket to push the lead to 31-24. It was a seven-point lead, and it felt like the Cavaliers just stopped playing basketball in the middle of the first quarter. But the second quarter, they fought back. They clawed back, sort of. I still didn't love how the offense looked, but I tell you what I did love. Once we lost Allen, the substitutions, they were somewhat erratic. We saw Osman play just three minutes in the first quarter and two minutes in the second quarter, and then we did not see him again for the rest of the first half. JB leaned heavily on Lamar Stevens and Karis LeVert. He went away from Isaac Okoro, who did not even play in the second quarter. Instead, we got five minutes from Neto, who did not have similar luck. He did not score a point. But despite all that, the Cavaliers outscored the Jazz by seven points. And we went into halftime tied up. 55 all, Donovan Mitchell with 25 points. And all that despite the fact that we went five for 20 from outside the arc. At halftime, my feeling was that a huge reason for that was Lamar Stevens' defense on Lowry Markinen in that second quarter. Lowry Markinen only took three free throws in the first half. Now, he finished the game with double digits, so it did not continue to work in the second half, but Lamar Stevens did an amazing job contesting his shots without fouling him. In fact, he had two blocks and two steals in the first half, and one of those blocks was rejecting Lowry Markinen on a three-pointer, a legit seven-footer, and Lamar Stevens sent it packing. I thought he was incredible. So halftime hits. We wrestled it under control. We're going to come out. We're going to put our foot on the throat and boom, that'll be it. But 
It was then, I, not until halftime. I mean, I saw people tweeting like, where's Jared Allen? And I thought they were mainly just bitching because JB was running the bench a lot in the second quarter. I didn't piece it together that he wasn't coming back until halftime when I finally saw a tweet from Fedor saying that he was out for the rest of the game with an illness. And I got to say, as one of Fro's biggest supporters, I feel a little bit like a negligent parent. It's kind of like when you were a kid, and maybe this wasn't the way when you were kids. I'm older than some of you, I imagine, but they had those messages right before the news that would say, it's 11 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? And if you think about that now, in hindsight, why did it require the television news to make you say, oh, that's right. I have a child. I should probably make sure they're not dead. Now, the news starts telling me what to do. Check on my child. Fuck you. I'll leave the kid out there to die. I have personal freedoms. How do I even know that's my kid? They could have made that in a lab. Okay, going off the rails a bit. So anyway, my point is, I didn't even think about Jared Allen. I definitely did not know where my podcast child was. Here he is, all alone, probably scared and sad, crying and pooping, pooping and crying. And I don't even give a second thought to him. No empathy, no basic human emotion that thinks of anything but yourself. I I felt... Equally as bad today, I was painting. Now, uh, a little bit of a tangent here and a bit creepy, so get ready to be both aroused and disgusted at the same time. Today, I was painting because I'm about to fly away and abandon my wife for a few days, so I thought, okay, you have this big list of shit you've been meaning to do. One of those things was paint the dining room, so I thought, you know what? I can do this today. But here's the thing. When I paint, I get paint everywhere. I had to paint the ceiling. Shit was going to be messy. So I thought... Rather than destroy more of my gym clothes, because I just paint in shorts and a t-shirt in the past, I have uh, adapted my painting as I've been having to do quite a bit of it. I'm slowly working my way room by room around the house that I'm in. So now I've just abandoned any form of decorum or appropriate behavior, and I paint in my underwear. Just a complete white trash palooza. I figure, fuck it. If I get paint on me, I can shower and get it off of me. A lot of times the paint will not come out of clothes, but the paint always comes off my skin. So anyway, yeah, I'm painting. Practically buck naked. Well, today I've been waiting on a shipment. I have a table on the way for said dining room and the doorbell rang. And at first I ignored it. I figured my wife would get it. And I was, you know, half naked in my Dexter looking dining room which was plastered with plastic i look like a fucking serial killer who was a naked serial killer basically but the doorbell continued to ring so i had to abruptly stop my painting i threw on sweatpants i didn't bother with a shirt because i thought ah they're just gonna want me to sign some form and then they'll leave this crate here i'll bring it in i'll assemble it bing bang boom husband of the year instead it was a fucking girl scout selling cookies and her mom wasn't even with her she was alone this girl was Had to be six years old, nine years old. I don't know. How old does a Girl Scout have to be? She was short. I could kick her in the face, and I don't have very good flexibility. I don't have a shirt on. I have gray sweatpants. I look like a complete fucking pervert. And her mom is out in the car on the street. She just let her walk up to the door unattended, probably because the people who lived in this house before us were respectable people, not the kind of people who open their door topless with gray sweatpants on. So I immediately said, hold on a second. I When I got a robe, I threw that on. But wearing a robe and gray sweatpants is only a mild step up from opening your door and having a child see a grown man half naked. So anyway, I ordered two boxes of cookies. I didn't need the cookies. As I said on a previous podcast episode, 
My goal generally is just to not get fat. And I sit at a desk all day, so I'm fucking losing that battle. But I felt like I had to do that for traumatizing this child. So I ordered some cookies and I was going somewhere with this. I've completely lost. Oh, I know what I was saying. There's a decorum. You know, you need to think of other people. And here I am. Froze hurt. He's sad. He's alone. He needed my help in the bathroom or he definitely needed a plunger or something. And here I am, selfish Bob, who's exposing himself to children and ignoring hurt franchise centers in order to think of a clever way to say that Fontecchio looks like John Bernthal if John Bernthal had been hit in the face with a shovel. Yeah, I know. Wasn't that good. Went over like a lead balloon. But my point is, you need to think about other people. That was a long way of wrapping a life lesson into a ridiculous podcast about the Cavaliers choking away a game to the Jazz. Anyway, shit's getting real dark here, so get it back on track, Bob. Third quarter begins. It's a lot of back and forth. The Jazz go up by two points, 65-63, and then boom. Seven straight points of the Jazz has come from Jordan Clarkson. They go on a 13-2 run to stretch the lead to 13 points. Now the Cavs fought back again at the end of the third quarter. In fact, a four-point play from Karis LeVert where he was fouled on a three-point attempt to cut the lead to 86-82. That would be ominous in the fourth quarter. It was, we would see the situation reversed, unfortunately, but I'll get to that. Fourth quarter, we head into the action down by four points. If I told you in the fourth quarter that the Utah Jazz were going to go five for 25 from the floor, and that's a combined 0 for 13 from Malik Beasley, Lowry Markinen, and Walker Kessler, from Mike Conley too. 0 for 13 between those four players. But what was the difference? 15 points from Jordan Clarkson. So perhaps you'd say, okay, well, we lost the fourth quarter because Jordan Clarkson was an absolute hero. Donovan Mitchell outscored him. We had the highest score. We had four of the five players who logged the most minutes for the Jazz go 0 for. Our team shot 54% to 20% from the Jazz. They only made two three-pointers. We made three, and yet we still lost. And what was the difference? Well, There was two primary differences. One was that we fouled 10 fucking times. 10 times. The second was that they made 16 free throws. Two free throws for the Cavs to 19 free throws for the Utah Jazz. Now, this is karma, if there ever was one, because I shit all over those crybaby Bulls fans who were, oh, he got he got fouled, and that wasn't a foul. And I said, well, you fucked up. You gave up a 21-point lead. And then the universe says, well, how about this, you snarky dick? We gave up seven points in 13 seconds. And there's nobody to blame there except for Karis LeVert. Do I like the flagrant call? No, I don't. But I do think they have consistently called that type of thing this season, where even if the shooter is drifting forward, I've seen it called for Steph's favor. I've seen it called now for Clarkson's favor. If the shooter is drifting forward, you just can't contest a shot straight on like that. You've got to jump from the side. You've got to jump off towards the side of their body. It doesn't matter if when they jumped, you wouldn't have been in their landing space. If where they're going to land is going to be where you land, well, there's a good chance you're going to end up with a flagrant call. I don't like it, but I'm not going to act like I haven't seen it multiple times this season. And believe me, there's plenty of people airing out the refs. If you go to the Bleacher Report Instagram account, They posted the highlights of the fouls, and I'm just going to read you the first four comments. 
go ahead and delete this. Everybody's in agreement. It was the refs giving them the game. How are you supposed to guard a step back where he jumps forward without fouling then? They got to stop calling this as a foul. They can't help where these guys land when blocking a shot. Great jobs, ref. Nailed it. So clearly, I mean, the public sentiment is on the side of the Cavs. But what good does that do you? What does that get you? A box of cookies and a letter of notice you have to give to your neighbors saying you're a sexual offender. But here's the part that frustrated me. After the four-point play, after you had time to witness your lead just dwindle, you did that the very next possession when you're guarding a guy who you know was seeking out whistles. He just caught you with one, and you got tagged again. You had help in front of him. Don't play so close up on his back. You had Mobley in front of Clarkson. Trust that he was going to stop him. He had four blocks in the fourth quarter, and you got close enough to him that you bailed him out by allowing him to create the contact with you. And the icing on the cake is that Levert then missed his three-point attempt right after that. Evan Mobley had one of the best defensive quarters I have ever seen him put together. Four blocks. He single-handedly was changing shots at the rim that should have been automatic makes, but he never gave up. He fought through that. And yes, he did foul out, but that was in garbage time. The fouls from Karis Levert were absolutely crushing. He finished the game with four fouls. Guess how that distribution went? Three of them were in the fourth quarter. So I get being mad, but you have to put some of that blame on Karis Levert. You can hate Jordan Clarkson, too, for being a sneaky fucking asshole who squared up after he slapped Desmond Bain in the face last game and then proceeded to rip our hearts out. We sent you to Utah, you son of a bitch, so you could gun indiscriminately. You won a sixth man of the year because of the magnanimous behavior of the Cavalier front office. And this is how you repay us? This is how you repay us, Lowry Markinen? You force your way to the free throw line for 14 fucking free throw attempts? Where was that in Cleveland? Instead, it was just gunning up three-pointers. He shot six for 18 from the field today. That's horrible. But he finished the game with 25 points and 16 rebounds, in large part because the man lived at the free throw line. Consider this. Markinen is averaging over five and a half free throw attempts per game. Do you know how many Mitchell is averaging this season? Mitchell, a man who's a top 10 player in the NBA, 6.1. Markinen has all of a sudden decided that he's a superstar and he's going to get to the free throw line at will. It's infuriating when you're on the other end of it. I love Markinen. I will vote for Lowry Markinen on every all-star ballot. There needs to be at least one all-star with an unclipped penis, uncircumcised, and I think the finisher is probably the best bet here. 13 fourth quarter free throws for two former Cavaliers is enough to make me want to punt that box of Girl Scout cookies all the way to the street. Now, I don't want to talk about this game anymore. I have one other thing. Before I head off to Portland to serve as the spiritual inspiration for the Cavalier team, no thanks necessary, I wanted to discuss the Karis Levert for Tim Hardaway Jr. trade speculation. Now, Fedor talked about some of the targets that they might be interested in. I'll touch on a lot of these guys. I started this whole, you know, trade investigation, trade exploration podcast sub-series here on the Fear the Fro podcast. I did the Hawks the first game. I got another one uh, in the works that will drop soon enough. But I'm just going to touch on these ones that are out there because of Fedor primarily. And that is Alec Burks from the Detroit Pistons. Tim Hardaway Jr. seems to be getting a lot of attention. That is a very clean proposal on its face because Karis LeVert and Tim Hardaway Jr. make roughly the same average annual value. 
approximately 17 to $18 million. Now, Hardaway Jr. is making 19.6 this year, but he actually has two more years left after this where his value goes down slightly. He's $18 million in 23-24, and then he's $16 million in 24-25. Now, if you're asking yourself, don't these guys serve basically the same role as the super sixth man type player who comes in and can hopefully provide some scoring? Yeah, in a lot of ways, their roles are pretty similar. Now, Levert is tasked with more creation, whereas Hardaway Jr. plays more of that Malik Beasley role where he just comes in and he guns three-pointers. It has been seven, eight years in a row now where he has shot more than seven three-pointers a game, and that is basically what he's there for. Levert's more of a creator. Hardaway's more of a gunner. He's a reasonably good three-point shooter, better than Karras over the course of his career. He's a 36% three-point shooter. This year, he's shooting 37% from outside the arc. But the last two seasons, Hardaway's efficiency has fallen off somewhat because he has fallen below 40% from the field. A lot of that is due to the fact that this is a man who puts up nearly eight three-pointers a game. We saw a guy tonight on the Utah Jazz roster that I think fills a similar role for the Jazz, and that's Malik Beasley. Guys who primarily almost every one of their field goal attempts comes from outside the arc. Just a very uneven distribution in terms of where they get their buckets. Now, if you're going to make this trade, it's because... You already know that Levert and contract extension talks are going nowhere and you want to lock in someone before losing the money. There is a value to keeping money on the books, even for players that you don't want, because whereas you can trade Levert all the way up to the deadline this year, if you let him walk in the summer, you no longer have that chip to play with. So so similar to what they did with Rubio, where they turned Rubio into Levert, that gave them another year of a movable deal. And as you can see this year, Levert's in all the trade rumors. If they were to do this move, it's because they put a premium on Hardaway's three-point shooting and they value the fact that he would be under control for the next few seasons. I don't know that I like that move. Now, if they could add Alec Burks without having to give up Levert or Osman, I could get on board for that. The only way that would happen would primarily be with second-round picks, one or two of those, and then... You'd have to make the contracts work with the lower paid guys, your Windlers, Neto, Lopez, some combination of players therein. I could get behind that. I do think the Cavs could use a little bit more scoring punch. And if it comes in a frame that's sort of a can swing between the two and three or the two and four even, all the better. I would love a guy. Like as far as the Mavericks go, if there's anyone on that roster I would want, it would be Dorian Finney-Smith. I don't totally understand why people think that the Mavericks are just going to dump guys unless they think all of a sudden finding a way out of Tim Hardaway Jr.'s $20 million this season is going to make them some big-time player in free agency. They still have to extend Wood, though, who I think is going to get probably two years for around $40 million-ish. He's eligible for up to $77 million in an extension, and even if they split the difference, he's still going to get a slight raise over what he was making this year in all likelihood. Now, I'll get into more trade stuff. I don't want to go too deep down this wormhole now because, like I said on the previous podcast, I had one up yesterday for the Atlanta Hawks. I got another one in the works where I'm going to go into more detail about trade-specific things, but I don't want this to get into just all minutia about the money stuff. There's, there's other things to consider, like painting butt naked. If there's one thing you took away from this podcast, I hope it's that I am a fucking innovator. And that you should be following the Fear the Fro podcast, not just for your Cavalier content, but also for the most efficient ways to paint your household. Please like, 
subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. I appreciate all those things. And another episode of the Fear the Fro podcast will drop soon. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.